You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Last uh, couple weeks ago, uh, I had an opportunity to be with the kids when they were closing up class. And uh, there, there was a prayer time. And, and so you had this group of kids all together. And they asked, who is willing to pray? And Jim and Nancy Graham's granddaughter, Luna Sue, I think she's, she's probably five, somewhere around there. She said, I'll, I'll be willing to pray. And I said, and they, the teacher said, great. And so, and so she, she gave a prayer. And, and it started out the, the typical normal child's prayer. God, thank you for today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for our friends. And, and everyone's eyes are closed. And, and it was nice. And then she transitions to, and God, keep us safe from snakes. And it was just random. And I was like, wait, what? And, and I thought, did I hear that right? And she goes, God, snakes are bad. Keep us away from snakes. And I look up at the other teacher and we both smile. And then she continues on. God, give us wisdom on how to be around snakes. God, help us know not to get bit by snakes. God, keep snakes from biting us. And then she went on and just kind of prayed about snakes for the next minute or so. And, and it, was, it was a great prayer. And then we came and, and came back in here and worshiped and and I look at that prayer, and it's very applicable today's message, and, but also just the snakes in our life. God, keep us safe from the snakes. Keep us safe from the temptations, the sins. Keep us safe from those things that are trying to bite us, trying to pull us down. Keep us safe from those things that are going to lead us to death. Keep us safe. I love how she said, give us wisdom on how to be around snakes. God, give us wisdom on how to be around sin of the world, how to, to be around it and not be of it, how to love people, how give us wisdom on how to not give in to the temptations of the world. And so it was a great prayer for all of us, I believe. And, and it was a great prayer for, to, as we went into this week. If you have your Bibles, open it to Numbers chapter 21. It's probably not a normal section that we would, you would turn to. Uh, and we'll have it up on the screen. It's Numbers, uh, one of the first books of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, part of what they called the Pentateuch, the, the five books. And, and so there's Numbers. And, and in the book of Numbers, there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of uh, counting, there's a lot of laws, there's some blessings, and there's this little story tucked in here in Numbers 21. Numbers is sharing the story, the continuing story of the people of God, the Israelites. And if you remember in Exodus, they, in the book of Exodus, they left Egypt. They'd been enslaved in Egypt, and Moses leads them, the people of Israel out, and they go into the wilderness. And they end up going in the wilderness for 40 years. The plan was for them to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, this, this land that God had promised them, that said devoted for them. But the people were grumbling. But the people didn't trust God. But the people even made an idol of, of a golden calf. And, and because of this, God led them to wander for 40 years. God, because of this, the generation that didn't trust God to be able to make it to the promised land all had to die off. And the second generation was to be the ones that would make it to the promised land. So that story continues and we get to further along on this journey of 40 years. And when you get to it in Numbers 21, much of that first generation has passed on. And now we have the second generation gearing up to go to the promised land. 
And so this is where our story picks up. God has provided throughout this time. God has cared for them. God has reigned among them at night in a pillar of fire and during the day in a a cloud of smoke. God has been with them all along. God has provided food for them. And even to the point, the first few verses of of Numbers 21, we see God gives them a victory over over an enemy that has captured some of their people. God gives them victory and they win that that battle and yet the people even the second generation that should have learned from their parents still grumble still doubt God still question him and so that's where we pick up on the story in numbers 21 verse 4 Uh, verse 4 says they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom but the people grew impatient on the way They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. It's the same old complaining. Why why have you brought us out? This second generation should have learned from the first generation who, who were kept from being able to see the promised land because of complaining, but they haven't. They continued to complain. True, Moses, Edom wouldn't allow them to travel through their land. So Moses has to lead them out of the direction, uh, out of the way, take the long route to go around Edom. And they're upset. They're frustrated. And they're complaining about this miserable food. This is manna. This is what God has brought and provided every morning for the people of Israel to eat. This is what God has given them from God's hands, giving them food. Every morning, the Bible even calls it the angel's food. This is food from God. And yet they're complaining this miserable food. This is a blessing from the Lord. And they're complaining about it. And I think about that when I, I see the story of the Israelites and, and you look at it and you're like, man, what's wrong with them? They're a bunch of spoiled little kids. Like God's giving them food and it's not good enough. And and then I think, uh, I don't know, sometimes I, I probably have that same spoiled heart. And may, maybe you do too. I don't know if you connect with this, that, that we look at God's blessings and we sometimes take it for granted. And we complain about the job that at least God has given us a job. We find the faults in our, in our spouse, the gift that God has given us for life. We complain about, uh, about a physical ailment when we should be at least thankful that we're alive and breathing. We have so many blessings that we completely ignore and miss and take for granted. And sometimes, even worse, complain. So you got this second generation, and, and eight times throughout this Pentateuch, the people of Israel have complained. Uh, throughout this Exodus, they've complained, but they've always complained about Moses. Moses, why did you bring us out here? Underline, they're probably complaining about God, but they've never voiced it until now. The second generation is much more bold, and they're complaining. And they say they spoke out against God and against Moses. And so here we have them complaining complaining about the blessings that the Lord has given them. And so we see uh, verse six, um, as I see this story, I'm glad God doesn't treat us the same way when we're complaining about our blessings. Verse six, it jumps right in. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. That's a pretty harsh way to deal with complaining. He sent snakes. 
He sent these venomous snakes. The, the text says fire snakes, that, that the bite would burn and, and it would lead to a burning sensation and they would die. And so God sends these snakes to them in the midst of their complaining, in the midst of their ungratefulness, in the midst of their rejecting his blessing. He sends these snakes. Now, it's important to catch the words here. It says, they bit the people and many Israelites died. And I want to give you a little background of that because this is going to make more sense here in a couple of verses. When, the, when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt, he took the people that wanted to leave. The people that were enslaved, the people that were, that, that were servants, and they fled. And it wasn't only the Israelites that Egypt had enslaved. There were other nationalities, there's other groups of people. There were other even Egyptians that were tired of this, this social class that the Egyptians lived by and that, led, that fled with the Israelites. When Moses led, we often think that it was the Israelites that left, but it was anyone that didn't want to be part of Egypt anymore that saw this as their chance and they took off. So the people that have been wandering for 40 years is mostly the Israelites, but there's also other people groups. And so when it says they bit the people, means they bit everybody and then the, the writer makes a point to say, and many Israelites died. Many people died of all the nationalities, but the Israelites died as well. And so this is important. We'll see here in a moment why this stands out, why the author made a point to say this. But the passage continues, verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we smoke, spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The second generation, while they might be more, more forthright with their grieving, that they're straight up complaining about God, at least the second generation did learn a few things from their first generation and have come and said, we have sinned before God. In the past, Moses usually comes and prays for the people on his own, and this time they've come and asked Moses to pray for us, to try to make this right, to intercede on our behalf. And so Moses prays. And it continues, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Seems like an unusual direction from God, right? An unusual way to, to have this miracle of a healing that if you were bit by this fiery snake that causes your arm to burn and then quickly to die, all you had to do is look at this pole, have this snake on a pole, and you would live. And it seems like a strange request, but, but that's where we come and we see the background of the group of people that are here. It's not just the Israelites, but it's many different people. It's people that have accepted the Egyptian faith. And some of the Israelites, they were there so long, they'd even accepted the Egyptian gods and, and the belief system. And so you have this group of people that, that have followed the Egyptian gods. And one of those Egyptian gods was a pay a pay pass. It was a pay pass was an Egyptian god, and it was the god of death, of darkness. It was the god opposite of light and truth. I think we, we have a picture perhaps. Uh, the, the, this God was represented by a snake, a fire snake. And so this God uh, was the opposite of truth. This God was the opposite of light. It represented darkness. And so now you see 
what God has laid out before them. Because with a pay pass, the tradition was, the belief was that you could not look at a pay pass. You would have to cower and bow yourself and look away. Because if you looked, not only would you receive death, but you would receive a punishment worse than death, which was eternal darkness. And so if you were to look at, at a pay pass, if you were to look at this God represented by a snake, you would surely die. So... You have this group of people that have been living under Egyptian rule, that have been learning the Egyptian gods, that have been following these Egyptian beliefs. And God is saying, have you not got that I am the Lord? I have provided food for you every morning. I have protected you. We just had a victory in a battle and you still doubt me. Let me show you that Egyptian God that everyone is scared of, that Egyptian God that we look away, that you cower. I want you to look at the snake. If you want to live, you have to look up at the snake. You have to do the opposite. And in doing so, you will see that this Egyptian God is bunk, that this Egyptian God is false, that this is not the true God, but I am. The one that's provided meals for you every day, the one that's brought you and that kept you safe in the wilderness, the one that just brought us out of this battle. I am the true God, not those Egyptian gods. So look, look at the snake and you will be healed. And it says, as if, the, if, the, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. The people were saved not by doing anything, but by simply looking at the serpent. Some of them that followed the tradition of the Egyptians, that, that kept looking at the ways of the Egyptian world, would have refused. And they would have died. Some would say that it's too simple, that all I have to do is look at this, that's, that's not going to save me. And, and they might turn to other, uh, other methods and other medicines and whatnot, and they died. That the salvation, the, the safety, the life came from simply trusting God. Looking upon that, the pole with the snake and believing, believing that God would save you. Believing that God was the ultimate God. And it was proof that the Egyptian gods were nothing. That the Egyptian gods were false. And that this true God was the one and only true God. And so anyone that looked would be saved. Anyone that looked would live. Anyone that would put their trust in God would be all right. Now, sadly, the, the, the Israelites ended up taking this step too far, as, as oftentimes Christians do, that they take something that's of God and they turn it into an idol. And so the next time we see a reference to this, to this snake, to this statue, is in 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah is trying to bring the nation back to God, to get rid of idols, and he's destroying them. And it says in 18 verse 4, he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehemiah. They were burning incense to the statue. Their eyes had shifted from God that saved to the object. And as the Israelites do, I often see Christians do, right? That we often take our eyes off of Jesus as our sole focus, the Bible as our main text. And, and we start following in good people, but we start following Christian leaders. We start following our favorite pastors. 
we start falling and, and devoting ourselves to our favorite authors. Maybe even, if I can say it, we start following our favorite chicken sandwich restaurants and holding them up. Instead of finding our salvation and our guidance in God. We hold our salvation and our, and our wisdom and our guidance and we're having these, these things pour into us that are good Christian things, but that's where we turn to for our answers instead of turning to Jesus. We turn to that Christian celebrity. To, we turn to that Christian pastor that, that we, we love to listen to. And, and when, well, if he says this, if she says that, instead of what does the Bible say? And so they took this wonderful, beautiful thing, the Israelites, and they made it an idol that they were then worshiping. So Hezekiah smashes it and gets rid of it because they weren't keeping their eyes on God. So now, you think that serpent's done. But if you continue on through the book, through the Bible, you're going to come across the book of John. In chapter 3, Jesus brings reference back to this statue, this serpent. Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, who comes in the darkness of night. And he's coming to Jesus, who says that he is the light. And so Nicodemus comes in the darkness of night, and he's a Pharisee. He doesn't want the other Pharisees to know that he's talking to Jesus, that, that he believes in Jesus. And he goes, and, and he's asking Jesus all these things about his teaching. He's heard the teaching, but he wants clarification. And he's asking Jesus these questions. And he asks Jesus, uh, how... Uh, uh, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus tells him he has to be reborn. And this concept is so weird to Nicodemus. And he says, how can, how can a, a man travel through his mother's womb again? And, and how can I be reborn? And Jesus answers in John 3, 5 through 7. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And so Nicodemus is, is trying to figure this out and finds out that rebirth is by being baptized and that the spirit would come upon you. And, and Jesus and Nicodemus are continuing to talk. And then Jesus says this, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Just as Moses had lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. This is Jesus foreshadowing his death on the cross. How could the serpent on a pole be connected to Jesus? Well, look at the two stories. Both were raised up to save men from death. Serpents are often used as a picture of evil, as a picture of sin in the Bible. And that's what was a, came upon Jesus on the cross was our sin. And yet it was a bronze serpent. Bronze is the middle associated with judgment in the Bible. It is connected with judgment because it has to go through a fire. And so here the sins were judged before of all mankind onto Jesus on the cross. The bronze serpent does speak of evil, but it speaks of evil being judged. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on the cross and was judged for our sin. In addition, if you think about the serpent on the pole and if it was laying horizontally, it casts the picture of the cross. And so you have this idea 
that long ago, God had the people turn and look to the serpent, turn and look to this idea of sin being judged on a pole and they would be saved. Much like today, that when we look at Jesus on the cross, we would be saved. That when we turn our gaze upon him, we would be saved. Isaiah 45, 22 says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. What a powerful verse. Look to me and be saved. Charles Spurgeon, the, the great Christian preacher and author, was so moved by that verse, that's when he gave his life over to the Lord was a message that he heard from Isaiah 45 and then that text being applied to Moses lifting the serpent in the wilderness. And he gave his life over and he was so impressed by that that, that he ended up having this picture, uh, an engraving of Moses lifting up the serpent as his mark on all his books because it reminded him, all you have to do is look and be saved. You have to have faith. And there were those Israelites and the other people that are among the crowd that refused to look. That they said, that's not what my Egyptian God teaches. And the ways of the world are pointing me in a different direction and I'm not going to look. And they refused to look and they died. And there's people today that refuse to turn to Jesus Christ, refuse to have faith, refuse to submit their lives to them. And their punishment is death. Death in hell versus death and eternity in heaven. And so when we look to Jesus, we will be saved. When we look to Jesus, we can find strength and peace. As Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayers and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We have a lot to be anxious about, which means we have a lot to be praying about. We have a lot of snakes. We have a lot of snakes. A lot of sins that are coming to, to bite us. A lot of things that are coming to destroy us. A lot of things in our world that are all around us that are fiery and venomous and are seeking out to destroy us. You have a lot, I have a lot all around us in our lives. Where are we gonna gaze? What are we gonna focus on? Let us turn and focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on the fact that he died for our sins and rose again. Let us turn to him. Not be anxious about anything, but with everything. Turn to Jesus with prayer petition. Present our request to God. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The people of Israel didn't have to do anything else but have faith and what God had said, and they were healed. For you and me, there's nothing else we have to do to have salvation, but to have faith in God, to give our life over to him. And as Jesus was saying, Nicodemus comes and he says, what do I need to do? And he says, be reborn, be reborn in the water and in the spirit. Let us be reborn. Let us have the Holy Spirit come in us. Let us give our life over. Let us be baptized and set that example. And if you haven't done that yet, if you've never given your life, I wanna encourage you to do so. If you're watching at home and this is, God is speaking to your heart, then 
give this time over to him. Reach out to us, send us a message, text us. Let us celebrate with you and let us walk you through the next steps to be reborn. And maybe you have already done that, as many of you watching this have. And let this message be a reminder that the people were saved from the snakes if they simply turned their eyes in faith to what God told them. And we can be saved from our anxieties and our fears and all the things around us if we can keep our eyes on Jesus. This morning we have an opportunity to have communion and, and we're gonna just maybe have about a minute of music for you to take communion on your own at home. But each week we have this as a reminder. And sometimes when we have it each week, I know people say, oh, but it becomes commonplace. There's nothing commonplace about communion. Because this is a reminder of something that was so uncommon, something that only happened once in the history of mankind, which was God's son came down and bore our sins on the cross. The judgment of our sins was upon him. And so as you take the bread, I want to encourage you to think of those things, to think about Christ on the cross, but then as you take the juice to remember, he rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered those snakes. He conquered all the temptations and the things that are biting at us. He conquered these things. So this morning, as you take communion, place your gaze and focus on Jesus Christ. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. God, we lift up this time of communion. God, let it be glorifying to you. Our thoughts, our actions right now in our homes, the homes might be going crazy, kids running around, but God, let this moment be dedicated to you. Because God, we got a lot of snakes around us. It's a world is full of them need you to protect us. We're thankful that you sent your son to save us and God has let us make our gaze upon you and you alone. In your name, amen.